Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. My name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, president, and founder of GSD Get Shit Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. So with that, uh, I'd like to bring my incredible guest in, Serena Dang. Serena is the founder and CEO of Teacup, and she's going to tell us a little bit about it and talk about why she's got the best online platform for world's aging population. She graduated from Cornell University. She'd been involved in, in um, She Loves Tech, Nomura, One Sharp Capital, Trello Urban Forestry. Oh, we got to hear about that technology. That sounds very interesting, doesn't it? And she's going to tell us a little bit of her experience at Cornell University. So with that, I'd like to bring Serena on board. Hi, Serena. How are you today? Hello, Gary. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. So, you know, so you studied uh, hotel administration at Cornell, right? I did. How in the world do you go from hotel administration to Allegro Capital? Let's just say that I think hotel administration, the hotel school, as they call it before at Cornell, has the biggest misconception in a lot of people's mind in terms of what we learn, what we do, what we study, even during school. We got made fun of for being the school that we learned how to fold napkins, but still get an Ivy League degree out of it. But in reality, it's actually served as the undergraduate business program at Cornell University, in addition to some of the other majors that have fallen outside of Cornell, uh, the hotel school. Uh, in recent years, the school has made an attempt to consolidate all the business-related programs into the School of Business, and Hotel School is now officially part of that system. So in short, essentially during the four years at Cornell University at the Hotel School, we learned, you know, wine tasting classes in culinary for sure. There you most... go, now it's coming out. <laughs> the most useful lesson I have to say, you know, the one that I still practice and use to this date, but there outside of that. <laughs> coming handy whether you're at a sorority yeah. party or <laughs> out with some friends well, let's just say that you know the core skill sets that we have taken out of the university is finance real estate because how we differ from some of the other well the the only other hotel school in the world we're ranked as number one but technically there is another one in switzerland so we differ from that school in a sense that we learn more about the finance and real estate asset management part of the hospitality industry, which lends itself very well into preparing the students to understand the financial capital markets world in addition to real estate and asset management. And that ultimately led me to Allegro, which was a place that I did M&A, investment banking for six months in London, and then subsequently worked at Deutsche Bank. And then my longest term gig on Wall Street was at Nomura Securities, focused on fixed income securitized products, capital markets, and sales and trading effort. So it wasn't that crazy going from napkin folding and wine tasting to Wall Street, but um, but that's kind of okay, like no, you're smiling thing. though. You think it's funny too? Come on, it's very. It was funny. <laughs> I have to say. I mean. <laughs> we all it's love funny. like you know this black sheep people who assume that you know nothing, but then turn out to be you know, brilliant. Not to say that I'm brilliant, but like there are some really smart people coming from my school. No, no, no. I understand. Definitely. So, but now, you know, when I went to Cornell, I think I told you when I went up to visit in Cornell, I yeah. went on the Finger Lakes 
And those finger lakes were really cold. I remember it was a June time from, I think I told you the story and I jumped in, I was on a boat and I decided to jump in the water up there. And I got to tell you, I don't know if it ever gets warm, but I thought I was going to die. Like basically I thought I was going to be, uh, have hypothermia. It was that cold. And then I got in the water. I thought, well, this is this deep. What kind of fish are in here? And I never <laughs> think about that. But I really thought about it up there because I'm thinking there's probably four or five foot muscalunge up there that are like. Yeah. But it was it was interesting. It's probably of all the Ivy League schools, it's probably got the nicest environment of all of them in terms of being close to the lakes. And well, comparatively speaking, it also has got one of the highest suicidal rate because the common quote is that Ithaca is gorgeous because we have lots of gorges you know, around the campus, which makes for ideal natural beauty, uh, but also makes it very easy for those that you know, couldn't take the pressure to uh, lead a life astray. And, and I think there are many terrible stories that we have learned even during my time at school is because I think among all the Ivies we don't do great inflation the workload is really hard and a lot of you know our high school friends are you know went to Harvard and Yale and getting A's and left and right but then we went to you know not Harvard and Yale and then ended up getting C's so it's it's a lot for I think you know 18 something year old who is trying to figure out their identity, their place in the world, and have all these ambitions and then being crushed with coursework and this new kind of stage of life. And I think it's, it's, it's an important lesson. And I do have to say that, you know, it is a beautiful campus, but you also learn a lot more than just studying, but also about how to overcome the challenges in life and how to be more resilient, you know, facing obstacles. Um, and choosing to end your life easily is definitely something that not a good way to build resilience. No, 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 definitely not a good way because there's nothing yeah. good to happen, that's for sure. And when yeah. you're up there, so like, did you stay there in the summertime too? Do you work in, um, I'm just curious because it's beautiful up there in the summertime. I did one summer. It is highly recommended for a lot of the Cornell students to spend at least half of the summer just to experience it because summer is the most amazing place. Finger Lake is wonderful. Of course, I I've never even no, actually, I've I've swam in the lake. It is cold, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's beautiful. I spend my I think my sophomore year summer at Cornell doing um doing uh an international student program where because i was born and raised in china and uh, i participated in that international orientation program so the second year i was the head coordinator of that program and helping to welcome and uh and uh creating programs to allow for newer incoming international students to feel more at home uh, during the transition and also as an introduction of cornell uh, to those uh, people that are coming internationally. Now, how much difference, Serena, you know, so you grew up in China, how much different was Cornell than when, when you grew up in China? Like, was it less or more rigorous than the Chinese school system? I mean, how does mm -hmm. it compare? What is it like? Very good question. And I do think the Chinese education system right now is under huge transformation or change right now. But I can only speak to when I was growing up, you know, like, uh, 25, 30 years ago, um, the system at that time is the winner takes all kind of structure, meaning that ever since elementary school, you get ranked every single week in terms of where you do, 
how do you do on your testing? And that ranking is essentially going to dictate where the rest of your life is going to go. Because if you consistently rank top 10, then they will push you into those elite study groups, and then you'll continue to do better so that you can get into the best um, middle school, which is it's capped by a small group amount of people. Because China has so many people, the school system is very limited. So mm -hmm. if you continue to be the top 10, and then you get, you know, you get recognized, and then you get more resources, and then people uh, promote you and help you to get better, you know, along the way. So I basically went from, you know, testing every single week and just lots of pressure to trying to get to the top 10. And then so that you can get so you got to be recognized so that you can be given more resources and that people will be like, okay, these are the people we need to, you know, really help them grow and then get and then so that these are the people that are going to enter into the best middle school. And then, you know, it's the same process in middle school as well, because the three years in China for middle school, and then you keep testing every on a weekly basis. And then you get, you know, sent to the best high school. And then, you know, the process just continues. However, there is a lack of focus on uh, academic rigor rigorousness after university. So that was the time when I realized that that there is so much that I can learn by going to the universities in China. Tsinghua and Peking, the best two universities, are basically a safe bet for the high school that I was in. So and then I started to wonder what's more that I can do, what more that I can, what's a bigger platform. And that's what ultimately got me to think about studying abroad. And then university in the U.S., during the time when I was applying for school, still hold the best records. So that was my focus when I was applying. Well, that's amazing. And how was it immigrating to the U.S.? How was it like, you know, I know I spent a lot of time overseas myself. I spent like mm -hmm. 14 years. But how was it immigrating? Did it take a while to get culturally into the system, assimilated and accommodated? Did it take a while or did it happen overnight? I think, oh, it definitely didn't happen overnight. But I think I had an advantage for being able to you know, be very good with the language. And I think that shaped a big part of my identity and the way that I'm able to integrate better and smoother than some of my other peers who might have had a tougher time just because language perspective is a huge barrier. So for me, it was exciting. I mean, I there are lots of new things and I took a lot of the challenges and differences as ways to learn. And that got me very, like, People love to teach you when they know that you need help and you're eager to learn and learn their own culture and their language and, you know, what they have to offer. So I made a lot of friends that way. And that kind of is like a, a positive like feedback loop, right? The more I'm asking for help and the more I'm learning, the more they're willing to, to teach me. And then the closer of a relationship that we get to build and the more friends that I get and more friends that I get and then more learning that I can continue to build on top of that. So I really cherished and enjoyed that experience and had a great time. Wow, that's great. So you went down through, you did Allegro, you've gone down through and you did uh, She Loves Tech. What is that all about? So after three years on Wall Street working in investment banking, I kind of- How was that, like, by the way, Serena? How was it? Now, did you feel, how was it going from living in upstate New York to going and being an investment banker? Was it a cultural shift? How was it like, was it kind of this doggy dog world or? You know what, it's interesting because 
a lot of my friends, like, you know, because for these kind of investment banking job, you start with internships. My first internship was at Allegro, and that was in the UK, and that was my sophomore year. And then junior year, my internship was at Deutsche Bank. And then, you know, and then senior year after graduation, I took an offer from Nomura Securities. Um, it's, it's, there's like, you know, I think I probably had most of my friends around that time are aiming for these banking jobs and consulting jobs because those are around the time with the best paying, the most promising jobs. Like tech startup at that time was still like a new, a new small thing. And then now like, you know, the landscape has completely changed. So around that time is like, who are the smartest people that I can learn from, that I can hang out with? And then I just went hang out with them. So it's before I started these jobs, I was already kind of like, you know integrating into this culture of the finance board because all my friends are you know like applying for these jobs and doing these kind of internships so when i moved from you know upstate new york to manhattan you know i was surrounded by friends who were in the same industry and it wasn't very like oh my god i have no idea what i'm doing but it's just like everyone is just like okay you get up early, you work 100 hours a week, and that's expected. And um, Wait a minute, you work 100 hours a week? Oh, yeah, if not more. I think I just practically... Yeah, so you have off. a social life if you're working 100 hours a week. That's no time no. to do anything. No, I mean, to uh, for a while, I didn't have Wi-Fi, internet in my apartment, because I don't need it. <laughs> it's just like I go home, I go to the gym and then go to work and then come back and then sleep and then the cycle repeats. Literally, there was oh just no. <laughs> and so, how did the day were you working? Um, you know, like for what we're doing, since we're not following the equity markets, so it's pretty much like eight to nine, eight to eight, eight to nine, depends well, on the day. Bad. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then I, you know, work out in the morning, so I kind of go to sleep around like ten, so I get up around like five thirty, and then go to the gym, and then you know. Typically get around seven thirty or eight, um, and then work weekends as well. Kind of, it's kind of expected of you around that time. Um, to work weekends. Yeah, it's it's kind of expected. You know, back then, it's no one's gonna be like you have to come in over the weekend, but it's just more like there's so much work and so much catching up and so much learning you have to do, and uh, and I sometimes just decide to go into the office just to catch up, just as a way, you know, of putting in the effort and then really trying to get up to speed so wow that's amazing so that's interesting so it sounds like an interest sounds like being in a uh, resident in a hospital in <laughs> yeah like the whole Grey's anatomy kind of stuff except that you know there are more men and i was pretty much the only woman on the trading floor and that there you know you, you asked ask a question about she loves tech so you know i did that for a few years and i kind of just and then, you know, as you're progressing through the ranks, I was a vice president at Nomura Securities, and then you get a lot more analysts helping you to do your work, so you can dial back a little bit instead of putting in 100 hours. And then when I had a little more time, time to think about kind of my own contribution to the world and the society and so on and so forth, and then I really wanted to do more, and then especially supporting female in an empowerment perspective. And then I got this opportunity to run the um the north america side of this nonprofit called she loves tech which is a global platform that empowers female entrepreneurs in frontier technology um by providing resources and highlighting their achievement and success so that there can be more um opportunities for women in tech startup 
And that was actually my window into the whole VC world and being able to be a part of that ecosystem. And ultimately, which led me to build my current business in AI and technology, helping with the uh, older adults globally. Wow, that's amazing. And so, you know, if you looked at the biggest lesson, going from being an investment banker, uh, doing She Loves Tech, Nomura, what's the biggest lesson? What's the most important thing after working that hard? What, what if you look at one thing that's important to you, what becomes the most important thing? There are a lot of things that are important, I think, along the way. But I do think if we have to say one thing and one top, one thing that is top of mind for me is being kind. And I think kindness is not being nice. There's a huge difference between being nice and being kind. And, um, you know, now that I moved to California from New York and you can even tell that there, you know, just to be a little cliche example is California people are very nice but they may not be very kind. And New York people are, can be super nasty and not you know, nice at all, but most of them are kind. So the difference there is, I think there is one- So tell me uh, what the kind is and what uh, nice is. That's very interesting. What's your definition of what kind is? So I think this is the uh, COO of Bumbo that ventures that I've mentioned this, which is a really good analogy. I might've got the name wrong, but but what she basically, the way that she explained the difference between being kind and being nice is if we're sitting across from, you know, at a table having lunch, Gary, if you have spinach on your teeth, a nice person will not tell you anything because she will be like, oh, I don't want to hurt Gary's feelings. It's so embarrassing. You know, he's got spinach in his teeth. I'm just going to, you know, pretend that I didn't see anything. So that's what a nice person would do. But what a kind person would do is, even though it's a hard conversation, because there's going to be a lot of, you know, uncomfortable, you know, situation, but, but a kind person will want to point that out to you, Gary, because why? Because if she can tell you that you have, you got spinach on your teeth and then she can correct that mistake, you might have an investor meeting afterwards, you might have a date afterwards, you might have a really important kind of, it sets you up right for the rest of your day, even though that's a hard conversation to, to do. So a kind person, take, being kind takes a lot of courage. And being kind takes a lot of how like, far how far do you go down the kind thing? You know, when do you, what's the limit? Because I've seen people, you know, in other situations where it was kind of embarrassing, but you definitely didn't want to say anything because you didn't want to like make them embarrassed, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. I mean that's so, a wait, great question. I'm just curious. That's very interesting. When is a point that you don't really want to dial back the kindness because you won't don't want to hurt somebody's feelings? I yeah, for sure. And then you have the whole this is the whole communication style, right? And then there's the whole aspect of you know, when it comes to leadership, um, do you want to be kind or do you want to be nice? Sometimes you have to be a combination of both. Because the whole, you know, we've all heard about the sandwich delivery method, right? Like when you wanted to give someone a critical feedback, you say something nice and you add the feedback in the middle and then you say something nice to wrap it up. That's being nice. But then the critical feedback itself, that's a kind part, right? You're giving that person feedback. Hopefully that person can improve and do better next time. But then if you, that's like that sandwich method is a perfect way to see how niceness and, and kindness can be combined so I think you cannot just be an asshole and then just be like, this is, I think you suck. You should do X, Y, Z to do better. Even though it's a kind message, 
but the other person is not going to receive the message well because that put the other person in defense. So when we are in defense, we're not going to be learning. So it really is like, I think how, how deep down do we need to go in, down in the rabbit hole? I think it really is the, the outcome, the objective. If your objective is for the other person to, um, to receive the message and correct it, even that spinach example, right? You can deliver that kind of message, be like, oh my God, Gary, you got a spinach, spinach in your teeth. You're smiling every time you talk about it. You did that one time. You've done that. <laughs> you got that look like, I did it to my friend. <laughs> I, did I did it nicely. I did it with just like, oh my God, you got a spinach in your teeth. Like with such like a terrible way of delivering that message. But you mm -hmm. can be like, hey, Gary, I think, you know, I've got a mirror in my uh, in my bag. Well, you know, it depends on what kind of relationship you have. You know, can you imagine going out on a date and said, "Let me tell you, I like you a lot, but the spinach." <laughs> That's <laughs> really driving me crazy, man. Like, you'd have to fix that. <laughs> Are you into seaweed or what? <laughs> you know, and here's other things. I know a guy that's so rude, but everybody loves him. This guy is one of the rudest persons I've ever met in my life. And he said such things to people, but they actually really like it. I've never seen mm. anything like it. Like he says rude, but he's smiling when he says it. And they're like, they eat it up. I've never seen anything like it in my life. So, you know, it's interesting. And how do people accept that? You know, we got to bring some kindness on this planet with all the challenges that are happening. You know, yeah. we got Russia, we got now the Chinese situation, we got things all over the world, challenges. We better figure out how to, you know, take care of this planet and make the world a better place because not I nothing, agree. right? And I'm not sure how much people understand it and where we are, right? We got to double to food supply by 2050 to feed everybody. Can't increase the number of cattle because the 26% of the pollution is methane gas from cows, right? Mm -hmm. By the end of this century, the population will go from 8.1 billion anticipated 13 billion. How are we yeah. going to feed everybody? What happens when we, we're out of oil? What are we going to do? One day... In northern New York, when you're at uh, Cornell, right, in New York, and you're there, and it's cold, and it doesn't work anymore, what happens next? So we got to figure out how to sell, you know, take care of these incredible, we have a beautiful, beautiful planet. And yes. you're right, you know, a lot of the ultra wealth, wealthy people that I know and I talk to are talking about how to make this world a kinder, better place, because they feel it, you know, and I think those words are, are striking. But tell me a little bit about, I want to hear about I know you're a mentor at the Menorah's, uh, Entrepreneurs uh, Roundtable Accelerator, but you also founded Teacup. Tell, I like the name, by the way, because I always think of a poodle whenever I think of your company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a warm and fuzzy feeling that we want people to you yeah, know, yeah, establish. I think of, uh, was it Chip from, uh, from uh, Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> Exactly. I love that image. So essentially teacup, you know, the reason why we're called teacup is we want people to share a cup of wisdom and find their cup of tea. And ultimately what we do is we are an AI facilitated online social communities that is built and designed for the world's older adults. And this is a cause that is very deep to my heart because our vision, our mission and vision is to reduce the social isolation and loneliness among the aging population. And we want every single older adult to be cared for and connected, socially connected at all times. And why mm -hmm. is social connection so important? And as COVID has shed light on this biggest issue among older generations not being connected online and not having given the, the, um, the access of or 
familiarity with using smartphones in their past, a lot of them ended up being very socially isolated because a lot of in, in real life, real people, social communities and connections are cut off. You cannot go see people. You cannot do your uh, dance groups or meet up with your friends for coffee. And that have become very dangerous for the most vulnerable population in the world. So a lot of them ended up staying at home by themselves, not having any kind of social connection. And social connection has been proven as having a direct correlation to our mental health and brain health, in particular for older adults, because our brain health starts to deteriorate after the age of 40. And, and social connection and learning are ways to help um, slow down some of that deterioration and really improve our brain neuroplasticity. So 40% of dementia can be prevented if it was detected early and that there is always social connection among this person where they can use their brain more and more often and speak and use their language and on a regular basis. So when I set out to build this company was really a personal cause because my family have been under lockdown you know in China we all heard about those crazy lockdowns in Shanghai and my grandma actually passed away yeah. how long were it's, they locked down? oh three years three years in the house it was well the most strict lockdown was about <laughs> two and a half years but depending on the different phases, certain kind of like period of time, they can go downstairs and hang out in this little small social compound. But most of the time, you are pretty much just staying at home with a very limited opportunity to leave the house. So oh. that raised a lot of mental health issues in China. And uh, those mental health issues lead to brain deterioration, brain health deterioration among the older generations because yeah. they don't get to connect with others anymore. Um, so that was the reason why I wanted to build Teacup is because I think now during COVID, we've realized there are a lot of societal issues, but the aging population, which, you know, as you're talking about the global trend, even though that our uh, population growth is huge, but one in three people are going to be over the age of 50 in 20 years. And that's going to be a huge, like, older adult population in, in the world that we we don't have proper infrastructure to take care of them for. So utilizing internet, utilizing this mobile phone, now 80% of the older adults not have because of COVID, and they are entering into the internet world, but we're not ready to receive them because most of the apps and most of the infrastructure is still created you know for the future and when we think about the future we think about the younger generations but well, like, you know, i you know serena i wrote a paper i actually have written a, several hundred articles the last three years but one of the papers i talked about is uh, uh decentralized uh culturally diverse uh and intergenerational teams and part of the challenge is that we don't use the resources wisely and I deal with startups all over the world every single day, multiple mm -hmm. startups, multiple family office with some of the most incredible people in the world. And one of the things I found is they don't have the um, connections to be able to pull it off. And I've been involved personally, been involved in startups for 37 years. And I've been involved in 17 startups, several unicorns, but not a lot of people have that experience. And, you know, if you go to Cornell or Harvard, which was the first MBA program was at Harvard, what was it created to do? to teach managers how to manage, not how to be entrepreneurs. 
because entrepreneurial experience is really, you know, counter to a lot of what you learn to manage in a company. You got to keep reduced risk, et cetera. But when you're an entrepreneur, as you know, you've got to take risks all the time. That's the name of the game. And you got to yes. make sure that you win. So it's interesting because we need to learn how to mine those talents that are out there at the older generations at the same time with the younger uh, folks to let them understand that sometimes experience does help a lot. You know, I've been involved in myself in AI for uh, 26 years. So, you know, most people that, you know, I don't know how old you are, but you know, uh, I'm 30. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so you were four years old when I get started on this process and it's just amazing. <laughs> right? You go down through it and you think about it. Mm -hmm. I was one of five and lisp. Um, I sold the first Apple computers. So I've seen a lot of changes. Anyhow, you mine those resources because they can help you. The trust and credibility that's involved. The trust and credibility that's involved is really important. And, you know, we need to go down through and we need to figure out how to work together across cultures too. You know, we mm -hmm. do a lot of Africa, 1.4 billion in Africa today in 54 countries. We need to figure out how to go down through and mine those resources and treat people the right way. You got to figure out, you're right, kindness and goodness and all those kind of things. We talk about them, but it's a time we start to act. Today, there's about 200 active complex on the planet Earth today. Active. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking in the Ukraine. So we got to figure out how to get along. I mean, we got this beautiful planet. But I don't know about you, but whenever I see Mars and we talk about terraforming Mars, creating, you know, Musk wants to have two nuclear explosions. On each one of their ice caps, polar ice caps, <laughs> great, you know, a terraformed experience. I don't know about you, but I don't think it looks that nice. So it's not a place that I would say that's a top 10 place to live for me personally. Like it doesn't, <laughs> you know, if you think uh, Cornell's bad, I mean, this place is like way worse than that. Well, I'm a mountaineer, so I've climbed some of the tallest mountains in the world. And let's just say that even on this earth, like if the mountaintop situation is going to be where we end up living, that's not nice either yeah well so, exactly so think, and yeah you know we look at global warming you know mm -hmm. if you look at it if you look at the models last century the average sea level increased six inches by the end of this century it could be anywhere between four to seven feet up mm. you know people say what does that mean that means that many of the coastal cities are going to be underwater so we got to think about it you know and and you know i like what you're doing in terms of the aging population i have a remote uh patient monitoring company that I started at Stanford. So I actually called Zemply. So I get it. It's important, but it's for mm -hmm. all of us. Sooner or later, we're all going to need it. Oh, absolutely. And exactly. For the future today, it's going to be a, a lot longer for you than me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that, you know, hopefully I get to benefit a lot more people before I end up using the same service, the product that I'm building for myself as well. So I definitely have skin in the game in terms of building the best platform out there for my parents to use, for my future self to be using, and hopefully for many more. Yeah, no, that's great. Listen, we're coming to the top of the hour, so uh, closing thoughts and how do people get a hold of you? Well, um, connecting with me on LinkedIn would be the best way, and uh, I love learning about new ideas and talking to ambitious and smart people. So closing thoughts, definitely protect our Mother Earth, because we only got this one, you know, that is inhabitable for now. And uh, do everything that we can to be kind. 
Kindness. That's right. I love that. So to all my audience out there, thank you for attending one more time. GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And my name is Gary Fowler and I'm your host. Stay happy, stay safe and stay healthy. I'll be back to you again next Tuesday with another exciting edition. Take care, everybody. Enjoy your weekend and have a lot of fun. Be kind to people. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Serena. It's appreciated. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.